Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This is Live Mike. With Lee Lonsberry from Utah's Capitol Hill to your schools, taxes, and all the breaking news. Hear it on Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry on KSL News Radio. Hey, welcome back to the program. Grateful to you for tuning in. Uh, as long as you're not annoyed by this, I'm going to remind you each day uh, which episode number. We have made it to episode 17. I'm grateful to you for hanging on uh, that long. Please continue on. I'd love to be chatting with you uh, once we make our way to episode 100 and maybe 1,000 and who knows, maybe 5,000 if this turns into a real career. Uh, anyway, that's the what, what we've got going on. I'm grateful to you for listening to this new program. Our next guest, I'm excited to speak with uh, Jillian Friedman. She's a reporter for the Deseret News, has a storied background, uh, has been up to a lot, learned a lot of things. The, the reason I have you in studio is twofold. Uh, first and foremost, you've written a story uh, on immigration available at DeseretNews.com right now, uh, and I, I want to talk to you about that. But first, I want to congratulate you on something. Uh, yeah. I first... So so my story, I told you during the break, and listeners, I've already bored them with it, but I'm relatively new here to KSL again. I worked here uh, years and years ago, and uh, about a month ago, we started this program. Uh, well, what I wanted to do, I have always loved about this building, the collaborative nature between uh, KSL Radio and KSL Television and uh, the newspaper, Deseret News. And so I knew that you know folks come and go. And so I was trying to do what I could to refresh my uh, knowledge of who's working here, and so I started scrolling through uh, different stories uh, early December, and I was paying careful attention to who had written what. And you wrote uh, something dealing with uh, the Hallmark movie. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and you talked about uh, your experience being Jewish here in Utah, and you talked about your uh, background as, uh, as a young Jewish girl growing up, uh, excited for the different things that come uh, around the, the Hanukkah season. And uh, I thought it was well done. I thought you told a cool story. Uh, it was compelling. And one of the notes I made to myself as I was getting ready to start this show was, uh, you know what, keep an on what Jillian Friedman does, uh, and we're going to invite her into the studio from time to time. Uh, and so we have done uh, just that. Uh, you wrote uh, a story. Uh, the headline reads, what do fewer immigrants coming to the U.S. mean for our economy and workforce? Uh, so that's the question. What's the answer? Yeah, so this story really started, uh, I saw new data come out from the U.S. Census Census Bureau that said that uh, population growth in the U.S. in 2019 was the slowest in a decade. Um, and sorry, actually, a century. Um, so I was interested, why? Um, and really, one of the biggest factors was immigration, that there are less immigrants coming to the United States um, now than there were in the Obama administration, and that those numbers have really dipped significantly uh, in the Trump administration, but especially in 2019. So this is census data. Is there anything along the lines of speculation? We, what's the why? So really, though, the why is is twofold. One, we have some demographic trends that have uh, really um, come b- much before the Trump administration. Things like um, Mexican immigrants uh, aren't coming to the U.S. in the same numbers that they used to. Um, there's really been a, a nosedive ever since 2008 when the recession came and uh, kind of wiped out a lot of jobs. And Mexicans started actually going back 
to Mexico in larger numbers than they were coming to the United States. So those trends have been longstanding, but we've also seen that um, the Trump administration has had a big impact on both legal and illegal immigration, uh, whether it's through, uh, you know, slashing refugee resettlement numbers, um, uh, you know, changing green card policies, um, but then also his his recent policies with restricting um, the ability of asylum seekers to seek asylum and come into the United States. The This has potentially negative implications on the economy. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. So, you know, I think we hear a lot of rhetoric around um, immigrants taking American jobs. And um, when you really look at it, the picture is more nuanced. Um, so there's kind of... Um, two things that can happen. One is that there are some positive impacts when there's less immigrants. Um, you have more competition in the labor force, which means that sometimes wages can go up. There can be more pressure to increase the minimum wage. Um, so that can be good for American workers. But it can also be bad for American workers um, because, uh, for example, right now we're seeing demographic trends. You know, fertility rates are, are down. Baby boomers are aging out of the workforce. And we're really, there's a lot of missing workers. And we're going to need more and more workers to kind of be a, a safety valve. And so when there's less immigrants coming in, we see that that can have, um, you know, really actually bad effects for uh, profitability and uh, for the economy as a whole. We're speaking to Jillian Friedman, who is a reporter for a reporter. Is it, tell me what your title is exactly. Investigative journalist. Investigative journalist. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's I, okay. I'm time, also really. a reporter. Okay, very good. Many hats. <laughs> Investigative journalist uh, in today's context. Yes. Uh, for the Deseret News. Uh, she's joining us here in studio. Uh, you started this investigation looking at some CDC, or I'm sorry, Census Bureau yeah, that's right. uh, data. And can I uh, make a confession? I am one of those geeks that does get fascinated by this type of data and the stories that are told yeah. and, and what can go for it. So I'm grateful to you for, for doing uh, this type of research. Is there any indication that these trends will change or turn? So the sources that I talked to, obviously no one can predict the future, right? But the sources that I talked to did say it's it's very possible that this will really shift. That could come from things that, you know, U.S. policies could change if Trump gets reelected. Um, you know, he may continue with these policies. He may change them. But um, certainly if there's a shift in the administration, that could completely revamp, um, you know, things like what, what I was saying before about um, asylum seekers and, and how we're accepting those. But also other trends could happen. There could be um, new crises that unfold across the world that drive migration patterns. Um, and so, it, you know, these things can change on, on, a, on a dime. How does uh, Utah fare in all of this? Where, where do we stand in terms of uh, our comparison to the national trends? So, you know, in all confession, I, my story wasn't, you know, directly focused on Utah, but Utah is certainly a state which, um, you know, there are many industries here that are affected by migrant labor, um, agriculture, and, you know, one of Agriculture, hospitality. Absolutely. Um, even seasonal recreation, that's a huge, um, we're already seeing across the country that economies that are focused on agriculture or that are focused on seasonal recreation are already having some pretty devastating effects to local economies. I've, I've been wondering over the past little while if some of the policy attitudes uh, among certain municipalities here in the state will have, will make Utah a more attractive place for, for immigrants, and I wonder if that would lead to then us uh, performing maybe a little better compared to the national trends. For this reason, we knew about the executive order uh, handed down by Donald Trump not too long ago, mm -hmm. uh, and it was essentially, yeah, you can send your refugees here, uh, but here's a criteria. The states and municipalities need to be on board. We've learned mm -hmm. that uh, Governor Gary Herbert sent a letter right. uh, off to the White House saying, hey, you know, uh, Utah, we're good with that. We're good. You can send your refugees here, uh, and that paved the way for various municipalities 
municipalities. Uh, we know Provo is on board. Uh, Mayor Jenny Wilson uh, has made things uh, uh, open for refugees here. And I, and this is all speculative. Who knows what, what that? And this is just refugees too, not right. immigrants at large. But uh, I think the the community, or at least the environment here. Uh, and atmosphere is pretty ripe for us to be uh, welcoming to these types of immigrants. Yeah, I think Utah really stands out. Um, after um, the governor sent that letter, you know, we, the state got national attention, media attention for it because many people think, oh, Utah's a conservative state. They won't like immigrants, right? But the, but the picture is actually much more nuanced. Sure. So, you know, the state is incredibly welcoming to refugees. Local resettlement agencies give two years of case management for refugees. And our, the church does a lot to, to bring refugees in and sometimes even pays their salaries, things like that. So there's a lot going on here that makes Utah a more complicated picture of a relationship to immigration. And I, I think you're right that this state really does want to find that balance between the federal government and the state government kind of being in on the same page. Julian Friedman has been our guest here. Uh, let me ask you this. It's an unfair question because I didn't uh, let you know I was going to ask you. What are you working on now? Um, I'm working on if it's kind a secret, of a- if, it's, if it's top secret, you don't want to <laughs> tip your hat because, you know, the competitors could be listening. That's right. I actually am working on some stuff that I can't talk about right now. Cool. Um, cool. But I, I've got some stuff coming out about um, about Iran. You know, obviously you've okay. been talking about that all day. And, and my question I'm asking today is, does the media talking about the U.S.-Iran conflict and the potential for war actually make war more likely? So that piece will come out this week. Wait a week. second. That could make me look bad. I, maybe it will. Oh, I don't geez. know. All right. Well, <laughs> why don't you join us again next week? Let us know what you find. All right. Thank you so Julian much for Friedman, having me. So much. Uh, I'm grateful to you for being here. Listen, in our next and last segment of the day, uh, it's a sad story. I'm sorry to report, but you, over the years, have come uh, to be very affectionate with a giraffe at the Hogle Zoo, Pogo. Uh, well, this morning we woke up to unfortunate news uh, that Pogo died. Uh, well, we'll get the details on that and see what happened up there at Hokel Zoo. Erica Hansen, a friend of mine, going to join me here in studio on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.